Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings. I've been trying with this show to do the housekeeping stuff at the end of the show. Basically because I do it the other way on Wittenberg to Westphalia, and because I thought it might be cleaner, but I hate it. It ruins the flow of the show and the ending, so I'm putting my housekeeping stuff here, up front where it belongs. First off, we have a patron. Kyron has generously become a member, and so has earned a spot on our record label. As he did not request a band or stage name, I've decided that he is the frontman of the Chironics, a 1980s synth-pop band that started out as acolytes of Kraftwerk, but ended up having a dance-pop single in Algeria before breaking up. Many thanks to the Chironics for their support. Second up, a listener got in touch to suggest that the show might work better as a bit of a more conversational show. I had sort of been thinking of doing something like that anyway, and there's maybe some one-offs coming that have been in the works that might do more with that too, but there are some downsides. It's going to be more work, and it'll make the episodes longer. Hi, this is Andrew, the editor. I'm also here just to say that if he does make the show conversational, I'll kill him. So. There are a couple things that I'm going to be doing anyway in the future, crossovers with certain people and colleagues, and that's going to happen anyway. But for next time out, not this episode, but the next one, I am going to give it a try just as a regular episode, and I'm interested in what you guys think. My interlocutor is going to be Di, my wife, so that will be fun. And just, you guys have been pretty responsive, so just let me know what you think on the Facebook page or by email or whatever. So stay tuned for the end of the episode to learn what we will be talking about next time. But for now, the alarm. Hello and welcome to Why Though, a personal journey through my record collection. This is the show that asks that most important of all questions, why is this record in my collection? And is it any good? My name is Benjamin Jacobs, the confused owner of the records and the host of the show. This is episode 8, Declaration by The Alarm. While this album is not tagged, I am fairly sure that I bought this record at the same time that I bought the last one. I vaguely recall feeling pretty smug in the store about getting two records by The Alarm, and then being kind of annoyed at myself when I realized that all the songs on the EP were also on the full-length album, something that I realized when I got home. Anyway, I need to just start this episode by saying that I was sort of wrong about the alarm last time out, even if I was right about the EP. I'm going to speculate, but it really seems to me that when the record company rushed the EP out the door, they made some editorial choices. Basically, they were trying to capitalize on a tour in the American market, so they compiled all the most mainstream songs in the band's catalog, along with their one country western song for the Americans. The EP that resulted was safe and boring and went nowhere, but I guess they had something for the merch table? Happily, that means that all the new songs on this album that weren't on the EP were musically more interesting than the stuff on the EP was. Yes, they still sound like U2 quite a bit, but they definitely have their own thing going on this time, and anyway, they sound like early U2 and not late U2, so 
you know, it's better than nothing. Okay, I do want to contextualize a bit before I fully explore the album. We need to talk about the rest of The Alarm's career. We left the band on tour with U2, the EP getting shoved into production as they flew over to the US. After the tour, the band went into the studio and recorded basically all the rest of the songs on Declaration, then got on another plane and went for another tour in the US. I have to say their schedule in this period sounds unbelievably exhausting. When they got back, their producer had finished the mixing and mastering, and so in 1984, the band dropped Declaration. They celebrated by going on a few more tours. Then they started on another album. Oh man, I just want to take a nap just talking about all that. Long story short, the band continued this cycle of touring and making records that were increasingly well-regarded until 1991. In 1991, at a concert at Brixton Academy, the lead singer and songwriter, Mike Peters, said the following. We've shared some great moments in time over the last 10 years, and tonight I would like to thank all the people who have supported me from the beginning to the end. Tonight, this is my last moment with the alarm. I'm going out in a blaze of glory. My hands are held up high. Then he finished the set, signed over all royalties to his bandmates, and started a solo career. Apparently, he had told no one in the band or the press about this ahead of time, which is kind of a dick move, but also kind of a great way to go out. Mike Peters comes off as a person who held their celebrity incredibly lightly, while using it to advantage. He worked on his solo career through the 1990s, and in the 2000s gradually started releasing music as Mike Peters and The Alarm with a new backing band. I have to assume he and the old band members worked things out behind the scenes, as there isn't any hint of drama with all this. In any case, the most memorable part of his late stage career came in 2004, when he played a massive prank on the press and the public. He wrote and recorded a new single, but he wanted to see how it would do without his existing reputation behind it, so he hired a band of young actors to lip-sync in a music video and released the single as the song 45 RPM by the fictional band Poppy Fields. The song made it to number 24 in the UK pop charts before the hoax was revealed. Which is just totally badass. In 2005, Peters was diagnosed with lymphoma, and the years since have been more introspective. There were a number of cancer benefits, and he spent a lot of time remastering parts of the Alarm's back catalog. Despite all that, turns out that the doctors at the NHS are very good at dealing with lymphoma, and so Peters is still at it, and the band has recorded a new album about the COVID pandemic last year called War. I really wish that my two albums by the Alarm were not so securely lodged at the start of their career. They actually seem like a fascinating band with a ton of talent that I would have been interested seeing evolve. I suppose I can go listen to it after I'm done, but it's sort of against the spirit of this project for me to do so. For now, how does the album sound? I think my key moment of hope came as I was putting the album on and I looked at the band credits. Mostly was what I expected, but then I saw the credits for Eddie McDonald. He's credited as vocal, bass guitar, electric guitar, and bowed guitar. There's a bowed guitar on here. Okay, we might have something. The first two tracks were not that different from the EP, due to the fact that the song Declaration is actually about a one minute long intro for the second song, Marching On, which was on the EP. Despite not being particularly musically interesting, they do set the tone for the album. High energy, melodic, center-leftist songs about everyone sticking together no matter what they do to us, and we will be able to achieve good things. Capital G, capital T. Nothing wrong with that. I like good things. Mike Peters even sings like Bono, so, you know, 
During these tracks, I mused on how Welsh music was less tonal than Irish and Scottish music, and so it might come off as just normal music to an untrained ear. Then the third track came on. This is a song called Where You Were Hiding When the Storm Broke. All of a sudden, those bowed guitars are in play, and it sounds like Celtic music again, and the album is off and running. The songs on the album are deeply influenced by a variety of different genres, which is kind of interesting. The last two songs, The Howling Wind and a severely abridged version of The Stand, are very influenced by country western and blues. Howling Wind and the fourth track, Third Light, are also very influenced by the kind of bluesy but bland 80s rock and roll that I complained about on Viva La Rock. Third Light is saved by the inclusion of traditional wealth elements and a righteous political anger in the lyrics that is, you know, very U2. Howling Wind isn't my favorite, but it's an interesting document. Blaze of Glory might be my favorite on the album, as it brings together traditional elements like a male choir, with country-western stuff, a rock song structure, and a sort of cinematic scope that evokes a huge amount of importance and scale. I won't get into the specifics of every song. In general, the album is high energy, with a solid rhythm section and solid instrumentation choices. I really do want to emphasize how good the rhythm section is, and that makes for a good band. There's enough usage of traditional songwriting choices and instrumentation to keep this thing interesting. Lyrically, the songs are written in the service of their message, and there's nothing wrong with that. The message is one of optimism and political engagement in the hope of attaining a better future, despite real anger and a feeling of betrayal by those on both the left and the right sides of the political spectrum. Basically, do what you think is right, stay engaged, stay active, even if it's hard, we will get there. Wherever there is. There's a place for that kind of optimism in the world, and it's not unwelcome after, oh, everything that's happened since 2001. That said, there is no way around the fact that this album sounds like you too, right down to Mike Peters' vocals, which include those weird emotion squeaks that Bono does to show you that he means what he's singing about. Some of the genre influences here have not aged well. I still wish there was more traditional Welsh music here, and less straight-ahead rock and roll stuff, and much, much less of the 1980s you know, jazzy rock. Ugh. That said, this is definitely not bad. Peters is very good at writing these songs, and they are not boring. The improvement over the EP is huge. Listening to this a few times in writing this episode was a pleasant experience. I can see why the alarm has not hung around in the wider consciousness of pop music fanatics outside of Wales, but there's enough going on here to make me curious about the rest of their career. They have talent and songwriting skills, and their reputation in wealth circles does suggest that they evolved in all the right ways. So I'm not sure exactly where I stand on recommending this. One big issue is The Stand. Again, The Stand remains their best song on the EP, but the version they put on the album is bizarrely abridged to the point that it almost takes out all the interesting parts. Which just seems like an odd choice. Was it a space issue? Of the other songs, there are a few that I definitely like, but nothing really jumps out at me as a hugely amazing track in that same way that The Alarm is. I guess the thing to say is that if you are a huge fan of early U2, you will probably enjoy this. If you are a huge fan of Welsh music, you probably already own this. For the rest of us, the album is an interesting document, and not a bad experience. It makes me want to listen to other music by The Alarm, but I don't think I will be throwing on this particular album for funsies. I could be wrong about that, but anyway, for you, it's worth a listen at least. Oh, album art. The album art here is pretty good. The overall design element is that the outside is supposed to look like it is wrapped in brown paper. I'm not sure why that's their theme, but they stuck with it even in the sleeve liner notes, so points for theming. 
There's some very nice photos of the band on the back of the sleeve, so you can fully enjoy their terrible 1980s hairstyles. There is a very nice drawing on the front cover of a skeleton with a money flag and a big eagle with a burning city in the background and a black teenager sitting next to a police car, a guitar, a drum, and holding an infinity sign. This all probably means something. It's probably important. I think it fits in nicely with the themes of urban decay and struggle in many of the song lyrics. This image is included on the lyrics sheet as part of the record sleeve. And I should say that the lyrics are basically in a comprehensible order and are properly justified so that you can understand how they scan. I appreciate all of this. And as such, there's really nothing to complain about with the album art, and it all holds together, and I like it. So, if you haven't already, give the album a listen. Buy it, I guess, if you want. Maybe look up The Alarm more generally. They have been an interesting part of this project, and I enjoyed learning about them. But it is time to move on. Next time, we will march way outside of my comfort zone as we get to our first record of classical music. This is Brahms, the piano pieces OP117, 118, and 119. It also says Tent Intermezzi Ballade in G minor, Romance in F, Rhapsody in E flat. This is all performed by Dmitri Alexeev. I have no idea what most of those words mean, and I have no idea if I'm going to be able to find this online for you all to listen to, but I will do my best, and those links will be in the show notes along with links to today's album and any references I made along the way. One final note before we end, I've been in the past providing links in this album on YouTube. That just seems, you know, it's free, you don't have to sign up for it, everyone sort of has access. There's issues with different things being available in different countries, I understand, but it's sort of like, I, I figure that's as good as I can get. That's going to be the most common denominator. Recently, however, I've started paying attention more to the royalties these companies are actually giving to the artists. YouTube is one of the lower ones, which is unfortunate. So I just wanted to say that if you can buy music or listen to a streaming service that actually gives good royalties, I would encourage you to do that if you can. I will just say that Spotify is also really awful, so don't use Spotify. I'm still going to be using YouTube just as the lowest common denominator here, but if you can get Tidal or one of the other really good ones, Napster, actually remember Napster? Napster is actually really good as well. So pay attention to your choices, be an informed consumer in your listening, and as always, thanks for listening. Please consider donating to the show at the website, and I hope you find the answers that you are seeking in your record collection. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.